This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm Kevin and joining me this week are James and Natalie to talk about the away defeat to Manchester City, uh, in which we're all very pleased because we only scored three against us. Fantastic. Um, the big talking point, of course, was the, was the penalty in the first half, which we'll talk quite a lot about. Uh, there's also lots to talk about around our manager, Sean Dyche, with lots of speculation this week linking him away from the club. Um, so we will start with uh, the Man City game. Both of you, can you start off by giving me your um, your thirty second summary of the game? Um, I'd just go. I think quite simply, if uh, we didn't disgrace ourselves against a team that are, you know probably going to comfortably win the league on their current evidence, so uh, a, a reasonable result, I'd say, for our first away loss. Um, my summary is um, disappointed with the result, which I think is um, <laughs> shows to just goes to show how far Berlin fans have come with the excitement of this season, with how well we're doing. Um, no, all joking aside, I think there's no disgrace to um, losing away to a side that looks like it's going to run away with the league. Um, thought we did a really good job until um, the the uh, first goal went in. I thought we were doing um, a very respectable. Um, exercise in being disciplined and sticking to our tactics well and we, we frustrated them a little bit so um, once they got the first goal it was always going to be difficult but on the whole pleased with the performance Yeah I think that's a that's a common theme really it's, it's, it's quite strange to come away from a 3-0 a defeat and not feel massively disappointed um, what do you think James were you how did you feel about that for me for me I was looking at their, their goals. They've scored an average of three and a half goals per game this season. Uh, and they've scored four goals or more on five occasions. So to say we only restricted them to three goals, um, of which one of them was a, a, a dubious penalty, is almost impressive. What, how, what's your summary of that? I think you've got to be happy with it. Um, you know, a dose of realism is needed. Yes, it's disappointing to to lose any game. But we were going there and, you know, on the back of them absolutely hammering Stoke last week. Uh, and, you know, Stoke are an established Premier League side. And uh, before the beginning of this season, people weren't expect us to be where we are. Uh, at the end of the day, obviously, we're still eighth in the league. Um, 
And like you said, they've averaged three and a half goals a game and we, we kept them to three. I think I said last week they won't score seven. That held true. Um, probably would have liked them to score less than three. And I think it would have been nice for us to score as well. That's maybe the, the biggest disappointment that, um, you know, a defeat was almost expected. But it would have been nice to to, to get something on the board and really challenge. Um, but I think once Wood went off injured, um, it, it looked quite difficult to, to sort of score from that position. I think Barnes... Uh, up front on his own uh, was a big ask for him, and obviously there wasn't wasn't anything on the bench there with uh, Vox being out as well. Obviously, James Man City are an incredible team, but was it was it a three nil game for you? I thought I thought that was um, slightly harsh on us. I think for large parts of the game, we limited them really well. Um, I think once the second goes in, you know the third comes quickly after that, and it's kind of just one of those mental things. I think while it was one. Uh, one nil. We we felt like we could probably go on and try and nick something. And uh, once the second one goes in, you know they start opening the space up, and uh, that's when we did well. I think to keep it to three. I think that's where other teams have have let it get out of hand. Um, you know, once City get into a bit of a rhythm and they know they can score, then they can be pretty ruthless. Um, but I, I think you know three nil on the on the face of it makes it like we got you know quite heavily beaten. But I think. We were pretty competitive, and uh, you know, for large stretches of the game, I think we we held our own. Yeah, I think when that when that third goal went in so quickly after the second one, you you do start to think, oh, what's going to happen now? Uh, but I think we we recovered from that well. Um, starting with you, Natalie, we're going to ask you both again in no more than three words. Was was it a penalty? Tenuous and bought. There you go. They're my three words. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, yes. Well, it's two words. That's a uh, great value. Um, so, obviously, there were lots of there were lots of talk points about this particular incident. So, I want to break it down a little bit. And Natalie, I want to, I want to start with you because last week you uh, you spoke to Charlie, the West Ham fan, who and he he said initially that the the wooden heart incident wasn't a penalty because Woods invited the foul. So, looking to this weekend, there was definite contact between Pope and, and Bernardo Silva. But for me, does does Silva really really make sure that his foot gets caught and, and force Pope to make the to make the contact? Of course, he does. For me, it wasn't. It was it was a hundred percent bought by Silva. I just don't think that. I don't even think there's enough contact there. You know, you have to look at so many replays of the of the incident, and you have to look at them from the most bizarre angles just to try and find um, where the contact is. It's about the most lightest bit of contact. I think maybe his fingerprint slightly brushed through it. You know what I mean? It's so ridiculous is the level of contact. Um, for me, it was pure simulation. It might have been... We might sit here and all the pundits with all the technology in the world might settle on the strict analysis of, of the rule that it was a penalty. But for me, this initiative this season that was brought in to punish players retrospectively for diving and to try and stop simulation, that wasn't brought in as a defence for players who do dive to find them a get-out clause. Silver absolutely simulated for that dive. When he went down, you're not telling me for one minute that he felt any contact from Pope or that he knew that he had made contact. He was diving to look 
for the penalty. And it was just a happy coincidence for him that when you start to look back and really scrutinise the um, replays to the level that you have to to find the contact, that all that does is find him a a defence to stop him from getting a retrospective ban. And that, for me, was completely and utterly not what the point of this whole initiative was. It was to stop it in the first place. And so far, for me, it just hasn't worked. There hasn't been any clamping down on it. The players don't seem to be paying any attention whatsoever. And they, they got the penalty out of it. You know, it's just so disappointing to see a team of City's calibre and a player that cost that amount of money feeling that it was necessary to cheat the referee into getting ahead in a game. It's just, it's really frustrating. I'm, I think particularly at, particularly at that stage in the game yeah. as well, when they're such, a, they're such a good team and so early on in the game, it's, you know, it's not like it's the 90th minute. No, I know, but it just goes to show as well just how much... Burnley were frustrating them and I think a lot of the the analysis of the game very much centres on the fact that that Burnley were doing the job properly and and City were not finding were not getting their own way and they were not finding it as easy to dominate the game as they have done with say Stoke the week before or other teams that they've that they've played this season so what do they do they find a way to edge ahead and they, they resort to cheating and I just I've got no time for it and it The inconsistency of it just frustrates me and I just feel at the moment like the introduction of this retrospective ban is making things worse. You know, we didn't have the penalty. We've had Scott Arfield booked for more contact than there was on Saturday at a previous game. You know, Wood went down last week and doesn't get anything. There's more contact than there was this week. But because we're away at City and, um, you know, let's go conspiracy theorists if you want, but it's a big side and the league leaders who are going to win the title at their home ground, there is less contact than I've seen for any penalty decision or shout all season. And it's given. And then we scrutinise it and we suddenly look there and we go, oh, look, there's a tiny little bit of contact there. So, okay, that gives the FA a get out clause and we don't need to give them a retrospective ban. And it's just beyond frustrating and regardless of the result and regardless of the fact that they were probably going to win anyway and you know it's just one of those things it's left me with a really horrible taste in my mouth I just think it's I think it's pathetic I really do I always go back to the uh, the centre circle test and you think would that would that happen in the centre circle Uh, and if not it's probably something a bit dodgy going on Um, you you mentioned the, the the, the dive and the reaction to the contact there. So we, we know that there's there's certainly some contact. There's not a lot of contact, but there's certainly a little bit of contact. But the way he he goes ends up going to the well, he doesn't go straight to ground. He goes five foot in the air and then goes to ground. Um, James, was that an, a, a genuine genuine reaction to the contact, or was it just completely absurd? I think Dice uh, um comments after the match he said i'm impressed with how far he traveled for him to get that high off the floor when your hands are above your head is a skill in itself if i kicked my kids if i kicked my kid in the garden he wouldn't fall like that james what was your what was your reaction to the way he 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 went down to down to the floor uh, well firstly i'll say that real time i thought much the same as uh Brums just said there i don't think it was a penalty but i think having seen it again um my reaction was drawn by the his reaction, um, if that makes sense. You know, there's clear contact there. It is a foul and it, it, it should probably be a penalty. Um, however, he, to, for me, he should still be suspended after, uh, retrospectively because he's clearly tried to, you know, influence the referee. The, how you get your ankle trapped under someone's knee, you end up hitting the floor after the keeper's halfway back up is absolutely beyond me. You know, he's, he's clearly 
gone looking for the contact. And, you know, there's no problem with that. You, you think you've got to go looking for contact in those areas. We'd expect our strikers to go looking for contact. Uh, it's probably fair to say Wood went looking for contact on Hart the other week. Um, but looking for contact and then exaggerating the contact are two completely different things. Um, you know, I think Pope's a little bit naive going for the ball there. He doesn't need to come out. Um but he catches him ever so slightly. And then, you know, I think Bernardo Silva feels the contact and throws himself in the air. You can see, I think, the moment um, that he feels the contact in the in the replay. Uh, if you watch his left leg, just as he's going to make his next step, he feels the contact and sort of swipes at the air instead of actually stepping on the turf. And that's, the, you know, the beginning of the leap. Um, so it's just it just leaves a, a sour taste. You know, seeing someone with the level of skill he's got, feeling that he needs to emphasise contact like that. And I said this to someone I work with today. He's a, a Man City season ticket holder, and he just thought I was uh, talking sour grapes. But I said, no, it's absolutely a penalty. But you know, the way he's reacted, we just don't need that in the game. It's it's not good for the game. I think that's a really bad example for kids watching. Um, you know, when you see someone leap in the air like that, it's it's unnecessary. And it, to be honest, it's probably actually more dangerous than than the challenge. Um, you know, if you get a kid doing that on a Sunday morning on, you know, some of the pictures you get uh, around the country, he could easily, you know, injure himself trying to simulate to, to get a penalty. And um, it's just completely not setting the right example. And it, it needs stamping out, you know, whether it's a penalty or not. I think it's possible for um, a, a challenge like that to be both a penalty and simulation. Um, and I think the FA needs to sort of, you know, work to recognise that. But at the moment... There's just not the support referees need because, you know, the, the referee shouldn't be faced with that that in a game. Um, it makes it too difficult for them to make decisions. And, um, you know, the sooner some sort of video decision system comes in, uh, I think the better. Because uh, for me, he should be both sent off and awarded a penalty, as ridiculous as that sounds. But there's just no place for it in the game. Yeah, it's certainly a split reaction. I think there's been a lot of uh, many people condemning um, Silver's Silver's behaviour, but on the other hand, there's been quite a lot um, the other way as well. Oliver Holt, the the sports journalist on Twitter, said, "Interesting that Bernardo Silva got the cheating foreigner treatment today. Replay show the keeper challenged buckled his ankle. Obvious pen. And Zuno Markin, um, who I usually think is quite sensible, but is put one of the most ridiculous tweets I've seen in a long time, which says, "I'm amazed he doesn't properly damage his ankle. It's a dreadful challenge, which is which is hilariously bad, but it's absolutely." ridiculous um moving on a little bit natalie um james touched on this a minute ago but put nick pope goes down to make the challenge whether it's uh whether it's a penalty or not nick pope goes down to, to, to silver's feet and i'm wondering does he need to make that challenge does he need to go down or should could he just make himself big and, and close the space down a little bit for me i'm wondering if that's just a, a bit of a sign of his is an experience um I don't know, you know, I think that's a little harsh on Paul, but you know, is you've got to you've got to bear in mind you've got to take the fluidity of the the passes that led to the penalty. You know, it's not like he was one on one and he just had all the time in the world to think about it and to make himself big and, and make a different decision. It was literally a split second after he'd already made a fantastic save from another challenge and his body was already going down anyway. The momentum was taking him there. So I'm not sure once 
he has to make that save and he's then moving his body a little bit out of the way. I'm not sure he has any other option but to go down to the feet to try and get that ball. I think it's the only option he's got um, just because his body is, is doing, it's moving towards the ground and he's, he's sort of like, he's trying, to, he's come down from the save and he's trying to turn and very quickly react to um, another opportunity somewhere else. So I'm not, I'm not sure it's fair to throw the inexperienced naivety tag at him. I, I, I'm not entirely sure many more keepers would have any other options, to be honest, given the flow of the play and given how quickly he had to react. Uh, for me, no, completely doesn't need to, to make that challenge. Um, I can see why he does, and maybe it's just uh, showing his uh, lack of experience at this level. Um, you know, uh, Silver's going wide, and I think he'd be better to stand his ground and, and make himself big rather than go to ground. Um you know, if it doesn't go to ground, it it never would have been a penalty. Silver would have had the option to dive, but um, he did, and I, I think he'll look at that and he'll he'll maybe uh, just take it on board next time to to maybe let that sort of situation play out a little bit more. Yeah, I think we have got to remember how little football he he has played uh, professional football, particularly particularly at this level. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Heaton was making um, similar similar challenges when he was at his stage in his development. So um, yeah, I think this is it's a it's a learning curve for Pope as much as it is um, him being in the team. So things like this are going to happen, and we've got to accept that. And I think it's ultimately it's all good for his his learning and good for the team in, in the long term. Um, moving away from that first goal now, and just. James, do you want to talk us through the second and third goals? And have you got any complaints about them, or was it just a, a sign of, of City's sheer quality? Um, yeah, I think you know, defensively for the Sané one. I mean, I've seen some people blame blame Lawton. Uh, I mean, Sané's got a lot of space behind him, but I think Lawton's actually in the right position. It's more just that you know, one, it's a Absolutely sensational pass, great pass. Um, but two, the fact that we shouldn't have really been letting play come back the other way at that situation. We should have been looking to cut it out earlier. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, you're playing an absolutely class side, and they've shown that they can take teams apart this season. Um, you know, you, you don't set records for the most goals scored in your opening eight games by accident. Uh, they clearly got a, a lot of quality in the side, um, and I think we didn't actually even see them at the best. You know, if you look at Sergio Aguero, I think, had a very quiet game. Um, you know, if he's on form, you, you you just don't know. A lot of great players in the side, and I think you can't be too uh, too upset about the other two goals. So that you know, a lot of quality in their side, and the, you know they've hit us fast and on the break. I think there, and um, we we've struggled to contain them. But I think almost every team in the league struggles to contain them when they play like that. Uh, talking of the other end of the field and our strikers, we ended up playing most of the match with with Ashley Barnes, who's probably arguably our, our third choice uh, striker at the moment. So Natalie, uh, Chris Woods went off injured early on. Vokes missed, uh, missed the, the squad completely due to injury. Is that a concern? And, and how did you think Ashley Barnes did? Yeah, of did? course it's a concern. You know, I spoke on last week's podcast about my warning bells in the back of my mind about the lack of goals in this Burnley side. I think when we manage to score first, I think we do fine. You know, we can often close out games with just having to score one goal. But as we saw um, against West Ham, we very rarely look like we've got more than one goal in us. And I certainly didn't have the confidence that we had two to win the game, albeit I felt very confident we were going to get the point. 
Um, so to lose Wood and Vokes, I mean, I don't think Vokes is a particularly long-term injury. I think he just missed the game, so I fully expect him to be back for Newcastle. Um, no news yet on Chris Wood, but again, it looks to me like it was a um, preemptive um removal from from rather than an actual injury I said he just felt it as opposed to he actually pulled it so they, they took him off as a as a precaution so fingers crossed it's not not too bad but Ashley Barnes I love Ashley Barnes I really really do um I think he has still got something to bring as an entertaining character he works his absolute socks off and I think he's a brilliant impact player to come on and try and either break up the flow of the game when we're trying to defend a lead or maybe just try and get us some set pieces as our only striking option, I'm really sorry, Ashley, but you aren't good enough yet now at this level. Um, is a brilliant squad player and is a brilliant impact player, but as our number one striker, especially in a four-five-one, I think we will really, really struggle to get goals, and that could be um, a significant problem for us. We've said for some time now that we haven't done enough in the transfer windows to improve the creativity in the side from the wings and also our strike force up front. And I fear that an injury like this um, or just even one or two games with one or both of them missing will just show just how much that is going to come back and bite us. Uh, and, and jumping from two strikers being injured to a striker on his way back from injury, uh, Naki Wells has stepped up his return to fitness with a, a couple of um, games for the, for the 23 squad or whatever it's called these days. Uh, and so is Dean Marnie as well, which is fantastic to see. James, what, what impact do you, do you expect those two players to have um, on the squad and the team when they, when they return to fitness? I think it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm not sure... Um... I'm not sure what to to think, to be honest. I think Marnie's going to struggle obviously, to get his, his spot back. Um, Cork and DeFore have maybe been the, the two best things about our team so far this season. Um, you know, I don't want to go on and on about it, but I think you can't underestimate the the way they're playing together, the impact they've had on the team and, you know, the impact they've had on each other. Um, so it might be difficult to see Marnie come back in, but he's, he's good cover, I think. Um you know, he's he's especially good in the, the tough, scrappy games. Uh, obviously, he likes a challenge. Um, but I think, you know, at this stage of his career, it's going to be a big ask to see him re-establish himself in the first 11. Um, what we do with Narky Wells, I think, for me, is going to be the most interesting of the two. Uh, he's obviously got a bit of pace about him. He's someone that we looked at, well, we are linked with a few years ago, but he seems like he's maybe... Um, sort of been knocked off his previous trajectory a little bit in, in recent times. Obviously he was a sort of seen as a big promising player when he went to Huddersfield originally and obviously had a great start there uh at first, but he's obviously fallen out of favour enough to be to be sold. Um I think it's gonna be an opportunity for him to have a fresh start, show what he can do. Uh, it's at the highest level. Um and I think he's going to bring something that we miss quite a bit, which is a bit of pace. Uh, I think he's more of an option maybe to play out wide. You know, we've seen so far this season that Brady's been a little bit hit and miss. You know, we've seen some of his quality, but at the same time, we've maybe not seen enough. Um, for me, our field's probably not really a Premier League option uh, out wide. I, I think he's been absolutely great when he's played in the 10 instead of Hendrick, but out wide, he, he, he grafts, but I'd, just don't see that creativity we're probably looking for. Um, and obviously he's not got the pace that, that Wells has. So it's going to be interesting to see if that pace can help us sort of stretch defences a little bit and maybe get in behind. And um, I think what's key for us 
is that we need to find a way to, to maybe score a little bit more often. Um, you know, no doubt our form is pretty good, but goals win games. And uh, I, I say at the moment, we maybe not scoring quite as much as we'd like to. Uh, I think it's been the way quite a lot in all of our Premier League seasons, really. A lot of our wins have been by one goal. Makes it a little bit nervy for the fans. So it'd be nice for us to have an option there to, to maybe help us give ourselves more two goal cushions in games, particularly at home, um, so that we can ensure we capitalise on on the way we've played. Absolutely. So moving on now, we'll, we'll be many Burnley fans, well, all Burnley fans will be hoping that Naki Wells is not Sean Dyche's final final Burnley signing. Uh, there have been a, a couple of managerial departures in the Premier League this week, uh, Leicester and Everton. And inevitably, Sean Dyche has been heavily linked with, with both of them. Um, it's, it's funny, we, we were talking um, earlier today about what we what we could talk about on this week's podcast, and I, I said, "Let's talk about Sean Dyche's future." Obviously, le- the Leicester speculation. But I, I said, oh, "I'm also very worried about Everton after after their defeat at the weekend." And it was literally about ten minutes later that um, that Coleman was sacked. So. Um, I was concerned about Everton even before he left, and now I'm even more concerned. Um, at Leicester, Sean Dyche was odds-on favourite at one point. He was the, the, the strong favourite at the top with lots of uh, lots of speculation linking into that job. He's now moved down to fourth favourite. I'm looking at the odds at the moment. Um, we can't obviously you can't read too much into into the odds, but you just show where where people are where people are thinking. I think he's probably dropped down because of the the Everton speculation. He's he's the number one favourite for the Everton job at the moment, uh, head of David Unsworth and David Moyes and Carlo Ancelotti and of course um, Sam Allardyce because uh, every time a, a Premier League team at the bottom of the table fires a manager, Sam Allardyce's uh, his name is raised. Um, so obviously there's been a lot of a lot of speculation about, uh, with those clubs for our manager and lots of terrified terrified tweets and, and terrified thoughts from Burnley fans. Uh, Natalie, do you think there's anything in them? Um, lots of fans in panic, particularly over Everton. I think. Um, do you think Everton will, will want Sean Dyche? Um, I think I'm going to start with with, with Everton because obviously we've got two clubs to consider, and I think they are both very different um, prospects for him. I'm at the time of recording this, even with Dyche as clear favourites for the bookies to be the next manager. I'm not that concerned. I don't see it happening now let's be let's be realistic here the better that we do and the more success that we have the more plaudits Sean Dyche is going to get and more than ever he seems to be the the popular name this season and and he's getting a lot of plaudits in in the press and and the downside that comes with that is that he's going to get on the radar for other boards and other clubs and he is going to at some point step up I said quite some time ago that I felt like he hadn't yet um I said I felt that I thought his his next move from a personal ambition perspective would be a top seven club, but I didn't feel that he had yet earned his stripes to be able to do that. And I still think that that is the case, even though he has done a hell of a lot more to help towards that this year than he has last year. I think keeping Burnley up last season and having the start that he's had this season has gone a long way to help that. Put yourselves in the in the mind of the Everton board Everton are a, a top seven side. You know, obviously they're struggling this season, but they are a big club, um, rich history. They want the success. And the, that board, they've got new owners and they have um, basically spent a hell of a lot of money this summer to build a very, very impressive star-studded squad. I'm not 100% sure that they will believe that Deitch is the right man for the job at the moment. I feel 
brilliantly for us. Um, and I think they're wrong in this this thought, by the way. But I feel like they may play it safer and go for a big name European um, signing. They have got to start recovering some of that money. They've got to start getting some success. And I think that wrongly, they will see Sean Dyche as too much of a gamble right now. I, st- I think they'll consider him. I think they'll think about him. But I think ultimately they'll look at him and just say, well... You know, he only he kept Burnley up last season, but that's his first Premier League season, and we, in the end, we we you know we didn't finish that far above the relegation zone. They might have a look at some of the results towards the back end and think that you know maybe he didn't have as good a run as he should have had. Um, and I just feel like they might be looking that they want somebody who's got a proven history of winning trophies and of getting um you know in the big time not not necessarily at championship level or below um so whilst i don't agree with this i do think i think that they'd be missing a trick i'm clutching at the belief that i think it might just be a stretch too far for them at the moment and they may go save somebody like ancelotti or that caliber of manager um, so, so James, Natalie thinks that Everton might not want want Sean Dice, but um, do you think Dice would would move, want to move to to Everton? I think for me, they were they were they were a good fit for Michael Keane. They were they were big enough to be a seen as a significant step up, uh, but not too big that it's uh, you know a big to one of the the top four where he might not get into a team. And it's, it seems like a, a similar kind of move for for, for Sean Dice. Just, do you think this is something he would he would he would be interested in? Personally, we're where they're at the moment. I, I can't see it. I think, um, you know, Dash is a, a sensible man. He, you know, probably analyzes every decision he takes, uh, you know, to the empty degree. And I think if you go back and remember how he came to the turf and that first half a season where uh, the fans weren't really taken to him, you know, the football was a little bit laboured. I think, you know, he was struggling to establish his style of football with someone else's team. Um, it really took the summer to to let Dash, you know, get what he wanted out of the squad, and obviously we've not looked back since. Um, for me, I think that'll still be in his his mind that you don't want to take on someone else's project halfway through a season. Yes, he'd have the transfer window in January, but uh, there's only so much you can change in January. You know, the way Dash likes his players to play, the fitness level he likes them to be at, you need a summer to do that. And um, for me, I, I think he he won't fancy a, a mid season move. So a couple of tweets I, I noticed about we we asked on on Twitter earlier for 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 your thoughts. So a couple of things what people sent in. Stuart Rhodes said, "I think it's still an unfinished project at Burnley for Dyche. Hopefully proved right. Still a lot to accomplish." Mike Landers said, "Everton would be a good move for him, and we can't begrudge him that. If it happens, you'll find me sobbing in the cupboard for six weeks." Megan Pollard said, "Leicester, I can see tempting Dyche for for family reasons." But Everton FC would only be a future temptation as it's another relegation battle team at the moment. Uh, and finally, Alistair said, styles of play can change and, and still bring success, but we need to make sure that the values he brought to the club uh, remain a part of our DNA. Um, so Natalie, D- Dyche has always been open that he doesn't see himself staying at Burnley forever. And to be honest, that's something I, I really respect about him. You, you see a lot of managers and players Talking about you know I, I love this club but it, it's uh, really part of it and it, it, he he does say that you know obviously Sean, Sean Dyche has got a, a fantastic relationship with the club but also he's not 
he's not going to lie and say that he's going to be at the club forever. He's, he's always from, I think pretty much from day one said that he's, he's, he's open to, to leaving in the future. And almost, I think he hinted this week, but almost he, that's part of his plan. He, he doesn't want to be at Burnley forever. He wants to continue de- developing himself and developing his career. And he wants to be able to make that step up um, before too long. So, thinking about the different clubs who, who, may, who may be interested in him and what might, might be appealing to him uh, as an individual, what do you think it would take for, for him to leave? Um, well, I, I completely agree with you. And, and actually, I would be very, very disappointed if he wanted to stay at Burnley. And, and that might come as a surprise or it might come as a bit of a, a feel like an insult to the club. It really isn't. But any manager should want to look at bettering themselves all the time. And I genuinely think that... Um, with the exception of, say, Ferguson at United, um, clubs outgrow managers and managers outgrow clubs and there becomes a natural point where managers feel that it's the right time to move on. I'm not, I don't think it's 100% there yet with um, with Sean Dyche and Burnley. I think that I agree with, with our listener who tweeted in and said that he felt like it was still unfinished business. Um, I agree with that, but I don't think he's got much long left. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this Everton job or this Leicester job doesn't uh, send him away. I, I, I do think we've only got maybe about another year left of him maximum before it does feel like it's time to move on. Um, but for me, you know, addressing the, the specific question, Kevin, I I still th- say what I said in the opening sentence. I think it would take a top seven club to make him move. I can't see him going to another club that is in a relegation battle. That's why I wasn't overly concerned about the Palace job, to be honest. I don't think, because I think he's sensible and I think he realises that jumping ship and taking a, an unnecessary risky job will only harm his stock. It won't help him. So I think I think it's a kind of top seven club, with the exception of some of the outer ones. Maybe somebody like Southampton, or um, you know, oh, well, I don't think he would go back to Watford, would he? After the the bad blood there, but maybe somebody like Southampton or or a side like that, maybe West Ham, maybe I don't know. Um, I think his living arrangements might play a part in it as well. I think, you know, you wouldn't begrudge the guy um, the opportunity to actually live back with his family again for the entire week rather than having to live in Burnley away from them three days a week. But, you know, he's done that for, what, five years now. So, you know, he's obviously quite comfortable with that and sees it's part of his job. Um, I think there has to be a factor of things. Unfortunately for us, it feels like Everton is a, is a perfect match for him. So I'm still keeping those fingers crossed that they don't come in. Um, I I just I just feel like a club has got to match his ambition. I think it's got to be a combination of a challenge, a step up and some stability. I think he needs all of those factors for it to be a good move for him. James, for me, the, the the two links, Leicester and Everton, have both been met with with very different reactions, both from myself and from other fans. For me, I was I've, I've always felt I'd be I'd be disappointed if he went for Leicester. I think it feels like too much of a of a sideways or even or even backwards step. Whereas Everton Everton feels a bit different. Everton a bit more of an, a, an established top half um, top half for club uh, Premier League club generally tend to be battling around the uh, the European spots. So. How would you feel if he left for, left for Leicester, and, and how would you feel if he left for Everton? And does his destination affect the way you would feel about um, a move away from Burnley? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think, firstly, with Leicester, 
Um, you could understand it from the family point of view. Um, but then again, you know, he's travelled up and down to Burnley for the last five years. I think if it was that big of an issue, he would have left already. He's, you know, he's not Eddie Howe. He's not a home bird. I don't think he can He can manage with that. You know, family's very important to him. He, he makes that point all the time. Um, and if he didn't think it would work, I think he would have left the club already. Um, but on the football side, when you look at Leicester, you've so you got to remember they won the league not, not too long ago and how much did how much favour did that gain uh, Ranieri? I I don't think he'd want to work for um, you know a club that that sack managers in that way that sort of treat managers that way because uh, managers deserve better than that. Um, especially when they, you know they win you the title in arguably the biggest league in the world. Um, Everton, yeah, it's a, a big club, um, but. Obviously, they're in the position they're in uh, on merit. They've, they've not been good enough this season. Uh, they spent a lot of money. Uh, I think it'd be a, a big pressure job. And as I said before, um, you know, he'd probably remember that what he likes to do, he, he needs a summer to get people fit. I mean, if you look at some of the guys in their squad, for me, Jordan Pickford, I mean, he's a goalkeeper. Uh, goalkeepers po- probably don't need to be the fittest member of your squad, but obviously he's still expecting a level of athleticism. And to me, he doesn't look fit. He looks like he could be playing uh, Sunday League pub football um, you know, he looks like he's carrying extra weight. Uh, he just does not look like a you know an elite Premier League goalkeeper. And you know the reputation that Pickford has, um, I think, has maybe contributed to that. You know, he, he's clearly not being grounded enough, and he's maybe not treated himself with the professionalism he needs to at this level of football. And it, it's just little things like that that obviously add up to to maybe explain why Everton are in the position they are. Uh, obviously, you can look at the headline thing. Obviously, this old Lukaku and that. They did replace him. They brought Wayne Rooney, but um, you know Wayne Rooney is very much a player in the twilight of his career. Um, there's a lot of problems there, and I think Dash is going to think that that's not the type of thing you want to take on during a season. Um, you know, I think it's right to say that Dash's time with Burnley is probably nearer the end than it's beginning. Um, you know, he's he's done a lot for the club. I don't think he he'll feel he's taken the club as far as he can. You know, the beginning of the season shows that that's clearly not the case because. Some people maybe said that in the summer, said he's keeping us up the furthest Dash feels he can take us. But, you know, here we are, sat eighth in the league. I think Dash will feel that he, he can take us a little further yet. But, you know, there's a a level of fatigue, I guess. I think I saw something a few years ago that um, the average um, length of time a millennial stays in a job now is about two years. Uh, obviously, that's real world rather than football. Football probably the average person lasts a lot less time because they either get sacked or, or move on. Um, but it's been five years and, you know, Dice is probably, um, he's probably still enjoying the challenge at the turf, but occasionally he probably does think, what could I do somewhere else? Um, but I think he'd wait for a summer to do that. It'd be a beginning of the summer move. I think it'd be something that, um, you know, wouldn't be knee jerk. It'd be it'd be planned. He'd he'd leave at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, he'd get a full pre season with his new team because I think that's how he feels his teams. Uh, you know, what he needs for his teams. I don't think he'll make the same mistake Owen Cole did of, uh, you know, jumping while he was hot property. Um, and ultimately, I think the flaws in his methodologies, you know, came through. Whereas Dash, I don't think has those flaws. I think, you know, sure, there's things he can work on to become a better manager, but. Um, you know, there's no glaring for He's not just inflating players' egos beyond the the level. He's getting players to work hard. Um, 
but getting that level of fitness required takes time and he's not going to have the time at, at Everton and with the money they spent in the summer they're not going to give him the time importantly so I think he's going to want something that's um, a bit easier to, to stamp his uh, his image on it uh, I know one player who who I know one person who would like um, Sean Dyche to go to Everton. That's probably Michael Keane, who hasn't looked anything like Michael Keane since uh, since leaving Sean Dyche's very structured uh, defence. So I'm sure that's one person who would be very pleased to see um, Dyche move over to Merseyside. So Natalie James mentioned there that Sean Dyche's time as Burnley manager is probably closer to the end than it is the beginning. So what what do we need to do as a club to ensure that our recent success is maintained after he after he does leave. Um, I think the most important thing is to protect our Premier League position. It's something that we now have to really consider, given the amount of investment that the board have made in the team for us and the way we want to go and the investments in in you know the training facilities and what we have off the pitch. So I think. The board are much more comfortable now in the Premier League and they're making financial decisions based on that. I think we were perhaps a little bit nervous when we were first starting this Premier League journey, but I think they're much more confident and comfortable than they used to be. And nobody wants us to see us lose this run that we're on. Um, And I think that will actually be a lot easier than it was the last time we lost a manager in a Premier League season. We absolutely 100% cannot make the mistakes we made with Brian Laws. We have to be ambitious and we have to get somebody in who is going to be able to continue the work that these players have put in to continue to make them work as hard as they are and to hopefully keep it improving and just carry on from where Sean Dyche left off. Now, fortunately for us, I think we're in a much stronger position to attract that kind of managers than we were the last time, um, well, when Eddie Howe left and we were bringing Sean Dyche in or when we were trying to replace um, Owen Coyle when he left. We are a stronger club now and it's a club that's getting a lot more respect and we've surpassed expectation by staying in the league. So I'm hoping that the candidates who put their CVs forward for the job will be very different ones than than the ones that we had the last times we've, we've looked for a manager. Um, I don't feel that the club has the luxury if Deitch leaves in the middle of a season of appointing somebody who needs time to bed in because we can lose our Premier League so status in that meantime so I don't think we can appoint somebody who doesn't have any man- any Premier League experience at all um, I wouldn't mind somebody like I know he's been linked to the Everton job as well, but somebody like Chris Coleman for me would be a, a great signing. Um, somebody who who's played in the divisions, he's obviously now probably going to be looking for another opportunity after um, obviously Wales missed out on the, the World Cup. If he wanted to come back into club football, he would be a great appointment. You know, somebody like that who's who's managed at the highest level and he understands the modern game and has got forward-thinking ideas. I don't want to appoint um, a Brian Lowe-style character or, you know, like a Peter Reid or somebody like that who's quite old school and is going to take us a step backward. We want somebody young and we want somebody who understands modern football and who can at least in the short term keep our Premier League status. And if that means that it's only a short-term um, appointment, so we can only put them in for say a two to three year plan. Fine, 
but that's where we have to go. We have to continue this short term. Let's stay in the Premier League for at least one more season and start building. We cannot afford to lose our status. And it's a really, really important appointment. I think, yeah, if if he goes, it's going to be a, a really key appointment. But um, I don't think he will. So I don't think it's something we're going to have to, to deal with right now. But it, it's definitely one that we need to make sure we get right. We can't have a repeat of Brian, Brian Laws. Um, I thought when he went, Brian Laws was probably hard done by. But obviously in the Premier League, he was out of his depth, uh, quite simply. Um, but we were on our way down at the time as well. And I think it's more um, the, you know, the combined shock of, you know, your manager who got you to the Premier League leaving and, um, you know, what's seen as an underwhelming replacement and the fact that the form was slipping already uh, that, you know, ultimately became too much. I think uh, this time from the form perspective, you know, we'd be in a lot better position. The players clearly believe in themselves. Um, but I think, and you're the, sorry, and the fitness aspect is already built up. You can't take that away from them at this stage, you know, unless uh, the new manager gets the dominoes in or something on day one. Um, but I think other pizza brands obviously are available. Um, but I think it, it'd be a massively key uh, appointment and it'd be one that you really don't want to make, um, you know, at this, this stage in the season. Uh, you know, at best you'd want to do it when um, there's a an international break. But, you know, when the games are coming thick and fast and you, you need to be concentrating on what you're doing, it's the absolute worst time to be making an appointment. And I think the, the most maybe understated point of if Dash went was I think he'd take a lot of the staff with him, including some of the staff that were here beforehand. Um, and that might be a, a bigger concern really than just Dash going is that it could completely gut the club, much like it did when Coyle left. Um, and it's a much bigger task for a new manager if he has to come in and not only, um, you know, get to grips with where the team are mid-season while the games are coming thick and fast, but have to bring in his own staff as well at the same time. Um I think it'd be a, a massive job for someone and it'd be probably an intimidating one for a lot of people. Yeah, other pizza brands are available, but if Domino's are listening, I want to send us some free pizza, then please get in like touch. Um, also get in touch. <laughs> whoa, what? Hey, whoa. Please don't ruin our potential okay. sponsorship. Well, Domino's, if you could sponsor us, just <laughs> send me brand- some ice cream. That'll be fine. Thanks. I, I, I like Domino's, so yeah. Yeah, any brands that have send us anything at whatsoever. Um, yeah, pizza delivery is also good. Um, Papa John's, big fan of that. Um, Even yeah. your, your local your local pizza takeaway. Pronto's. Yeah, in yeah Village Pizza well, in Barley. If anybody that's, wants to fly me out to well. Naples and I'll have like a proper Italian pizza, that, that'd be absolutely fine for me. Thanks. <laughs> I think you're stretching. Uh, classic Brommers. Um, please also get in touch if you've got some thoughts on, on what we've just been talking about as well um, I think particularly that last point um, what what do we need to do as a club to to ensure maintain success after after Sean Dyche leaves that doesn't necessarily have to be um, what what manager do we, do we bring in but what's the what's the approach we take what what kind of building blocks behind the scenes do do we need to make sure are in place when we um when when we do come to lose uh, lose Sean Dyche? So so next up is hopefully going to be a match with uh, with Sean Dyche in charge um, at Turf Moor next week. Um, James, we, we need to start scoring more goals at home, don't we? I think we need to start scoring more goals. Full stop. But yes, particularly at home, um, I think we need to just take one of these games by the scruff of the neck and, and show people what we can do. I'm not going to subscribe to this whole 
the home form's really concerning. It's you know it's completely gone. Um, it's you know it's not ideal. Um, you know that the points were picked up at home last season. You know home games were our bread and butter. But I think if you look at it, it's it's not awful. You know, Huddersfield are doing really well, really well. Um, obviously beating United at the weekend. I think you know they're riding high, having just come up to the Premier League. I think they're you know parallels there to what we did in our first season. You know what Blackpool did in their season in the Premier League. Um, and they you know they're showing themselves to be tough to beat. I don't think they were particularly inspiring. I thought the problem there was we were really lacking um, with that cutting edge and, and that's what is really missing for us. And it, it's key for me, I think, that um, Goodmanson gets the start. He you know, looked really good uh, when he came on against West Ham and I think if we can get balls like that into the box, we've got every chance of scoring goals. And um, I've been really happy, I think, you know, with almost all of our play, apart from just that last little bit of creativity, uh, we I've said before, we've seen glimpses of Brady, but for me, um, if I was Dash, I'd be saying, you know, show us what you can, show us what you can do. This is your opportunity. You're at home. Uh, you can play with a little bit more freedom, I think, at home, and you know, show us what's in your locker and and, and try and create some goals because um, that's really what he's missing from our game at the moment. I've seen a few people complain about the formation, and uh, one guy in particular on Twitter was saying, sorry, I can't remember his name, otherwise I would record it. Was saying that four four five one's what's going to take us down. Um, I mean, I had a quick look at some rough and ready figures and uh, I think Dave Roberts pulled me up on, are they actually comparable? It's very difficult, I'd say, firstly, to compare, um, you know, points gained by playing in a certain formation against a certain other formation because of the the way that formations can be fluid during the game. Um, But on the face of it, it looks like we pick up more points when we play 4-5-1 and, you know, for me, it is the, the, the... stronger formation for us it's the formation to go with in the Premier League there's a reason sort of 80-90% of clubs in the Premier League play 4-5-1 uh, because that is the way that footballs you know tends to be played these days but we need to do better I think at supporting the striker um, for me Hendrick's not working in the in the 10 um, Arfield's look better when he's played there this season I'd be tempted to try Defoe there but um, do you want to upset that uh, chemistry that you're seeing between him and Cork at the moment, I, I'm I'm not sure, but there's things we can do, and I think we've got to try something just to ch- inject more goals into our game. Um, and if we could go out and you know get a a two three nil game, I think it it do wonders for the, for the fans because even though we are eighth in the league, unbelievably there there still are a few uh, you know grumbles from some people, and it's. It's hard to believe, but it, it's happening, and I think it is because we've not really seen, um, you know, a real thumping performance at home yet. Natalie, very sad news that you're going to miss the podcast <laughs> the next week. week. Um, but in advance, what what do you expect from the game? Um, well, I'm expecting a trickier game than than maybe we we hoped it would be on paper. I think Newcastle have started very well. Um, I mean, you know, all of the promoted sides have started really well, uh, but Newcastle especially seem to have, have found their stride, haven't they, back in the Premier League. So I certainly don't expect it to be a, an easy game. Um, it's the kind of, of game I expect that we have to be looking to win, um, and I think that the team should be looking to bounce back from the disappointment of the first away loss this season to try and get some points. Um, you are right, something's not 
quite clicking at home for whatever reason that may be. But I, I agree with James on this one. It, as much as we weren't concerned last season with the away form, it do, you know, it doesn't matter where the points come from as long as they come from somewhere. But you do want it, you saw your home form to be good. You do want to, to give the fans something to cheer about and a bit of momentum. And I feel like a good performance against Newcastle and, and a good win would um, just again just keep that momentum going but also take some points off size that you would expect to be around the bottom come the end of the season so I think it's a really important game probably our first majorly important game at home this season to be honest um, I think how we do and how we set up will depend largely on on who's fit whether um, Wood and Forks make it back the fact we've got a nine day gap between games is, is obviously very very good for us and we're also hoping that we aren't looking for a manager halfway through it that would be horrendous but um, I think it'll be fine I think these these kind of games Burnley um, love it will be turf more under the floodlights Newcastle will bring themselves loads of fans because they always do they are a great set of fans they make a lot of noise I think the atmosphere will be buzzing Um and I think that I just think it will be a really good game. And I think if we, I think Dyche needs to start Goodmanson. I'll be disappointed if he starts on the bench again, um, and put Brady on the left for goodness' sake. Stop! I tell you, actually, I might put a message out there. If he's going to continue persisting with Robbie Brady on the right, then he can go to Everton. I don't care. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I don't mean that, Sean. I'm sorry. You can play whatever you want as long as you stay. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I think there will be goals um, and um, I'm expecting us to get back to winning ways. That'll be that'll be fantastic. Let's hope so. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. I think we've, we've talked about quite a lot this week and a few um, interesting discussions. So as I said earlier, please do get in touch if you've got any any contributions to add to what we've what we've talked about. Whether you want to add something different or whether you you disagree with something we've said, you can email us at podcast at net or you can tweet us at never or you can find us on on Facebook um, at never also. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks to Natalie and James for your fantastic contributions this week. Thanks for everyone who, who tweeted us their thoughts. We couldn't read everyone out, but uh, we really appreciate everyone you sent in to us this week. Um, there's going to be a lot of, I'll put quite a few links to things we've talked about in the show notes. Um, thank you to probably myself for editing. Uh, it's probably going to be me. So thank you. Thank you, me, for editing. Um, stay tuned for in just a few seconds for a clip from this, t- this time last year. Uh, until next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Burnley 2-1 victors over Everson thanks to a very, very dramatic last-minute goal from Scott Arfield. Certainly when we saw that the Boyd was out and Kiteley was coming in, um, I, I, I was I was surprised that we, we didn't bring Bamford in at that point. Uh, I think it, that's, that, for me, shows that Bamford is, is never... He's certainly never going to start a game for us. If we can, if he can't get in the team with with Gray Barnes, um, Defoe, and, and George Boyd out, then that's it for, for Bamford's chance to turf more. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.